What do you think about when you think about how God thinks about you? What do you think about when you think about how God thinks about you? Often when we think about how God thinks about us, we think about ourselves. It's a bit of a tongue twister, I know, but are you with me so far? Uh, because when we think about how God, how does God feel towards us? We usually think about ourselves and we think about our behavior. Am I, am I behaving or am I misbehaving? You know, was I, was I nice to my spouse and my kids and my neighbor this week? Did I, did I pray today? Did I, I go to church this week? And if I can answer yes to any of those questions, then I think, well, God thinks I'm okay. I'm all right. But when I answer no to any of those I lost my temper a little bit. I haven't opened my Bible since the third grade when I first got it. Sometimes even just to the extent that, well, we just had a, a crummy day. That changes the way that we think about how God thinks about us. We, we have this tendency to think that God thinks about us the same way that we think about ourselves. And our default is to think about ourselves based on our behavior. That, that's how we measure our value. That if I'm behaving, then God thinks, well, I'm pretty good. And if I'm misbehaving, then God thinks, well, I'm not so hot. And even though we know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, sometimes we don't really know that we know that, you know? Especially when we know that Jesus knows what we've done or what we haven't done. Our default is to judge and value ourselves based on our behavior because that's how we're brought up in this world. Many of us, that's how we're kind of raised as children or that's how we go through school or our jobs and performance evaluations. That's how a lot of our relationships work. If we do right, then we're seen as right. If we do wrong, then we're seen as wrong. But then the problem becomes that we take all of this and then we project all of that onto God so that we think that when God thinks about us, God thinks about us the same way that we think about us. But is that right? And so how, how does God really think about us? How, how does God feel towards us? What's the heart of God really like? One of my favorite passages of scripture that I, I fell in love with kind of um, in college um, it comes from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea was, uh, was a prophet um, during the ancient days of, of Israel, and he started writing down his prophecies and his warnings uh, towards the end of King Jeroboam's re uh, reign. Now, that doesn't really matter a whole lot, except for King Jeroboam was actually a really good king of Israel. But then after he died, everything just started falling apart for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel. And it was just kind of one terrible king after another. There was corrupt people in power. There was injustice, moral bankruptcy, on and on and on again. Hosea sees all of this happening around him, foresees more of this coming. And so he tells everyone, he warns everyone, and he says, look, guys, turn back to God. Get, get your hearts right with God once again. And so Hosea is this, this beautiful book, but it's really strange too, like really, 
really weird, really weird. Go read it for yourself. Um, it will be entertaining. Uh, but in it, there's, there's all of these powerful metaphors throughout the book of, of Hosea. For the first 10 chapters of Hosea, um, it describes how the people have been disobedient to God, how they have sinned against God, how they've sinned against each other, and they, they're fighting and all of this, and, and God is sort of just calling them to the carpet in the first 10 chapters, and God's saying, you know, you, you keep sinning, you keep refusing to change your ways, you keep uh, oppressing the poor and neglecting the orphans and the widows, and, and God says, that this is not who you're supposed to be. God describes the people of Israel as, as alien children, chapter 5, verse 7, as, as hot ovens, chapter 7, verse 8, as a burnt cake, as silly doves, chapter 7, 11, a useless vessel, 8, 8, a wild donkey, 8, 9, and on and on and on it goes. God is sort of calling them all of these names, but it's also sort of true of them. And so maybe you, you heard some of those metaphors and they sound um, like biblical name calling, uh, meaning that they're kind of weird uh, and kind of nice, but also outdated and really strange. Uh, and they just kind of go by because what exactly is a silly dove? And we don't come in, com in contact with wild donkeys a whole lot. So, so what is God saying? And so I, I did you all a favor. I came up um, with my own list of contemporary metaphors that if God were to speak to us today, uh, God, God would say, like God said to Hosea, God would say, my people, you're like a gutter ball. You're like weak coffee in the morning. You're a broken guitar string. You're a condemned apartment. You're, you're a clogged toilet. You're undercooked chicken and overcooked steak. You're, you're a dried up pen, a glitchy GPS. You're a dog that refuses to be house trained. You, you get those ones, right? Right? We, we see that. We have images of that. That's, that's what God is saying here. And on and on and on it goes. God says, look. I'm just trying to tell you that, that eventually this is all going to catch up with you. You're, you're going to reap what you sow. And so by the time we get to Hosea chapter 11, after all of that doom and gloom, after all of that biblical name calling, God declaring judgment, we get this image of God's heart, this, this window into the heart of the divine. So here's what it says, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. This is God speaking. God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and called and, and, and out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called them, the further they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals. Those are false gods and idols. And they burned incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with bands of human kindness, with cords of love. I treated them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. This is, this is a powerful image of, of God as a parent. What's, what's really interesting here is that in the Hebrew, the original language that Hosea wrote this in, um, 
There's no gender specified, so it's not, it's not father or mother. And so maybe that's helpful for you when you kind of picture God, is that maybe God for you is like father or mother, depending on your relationship with your family of origin and, and all of that. I had a great relationship with both my father and mother, so it's sort of interchangeable for me. Uh, but I think that that's what, what is more accurately described here is that this is, this is an image of God as sort of like this adoptive parent. That God is a parent who, who sees a child that's in need and takes this child in. That this is a parent who has patiently waited and cared for a child through all of those formative years when children don't really know how dangerous the world can be, when, when children don't really understand how much they need the security of a caring and attentive parent. And, and yet this, this divine parent was there watching the, the blossoming abilities and possibilities, healing the early wounds that come from exploration and childhood curiosity. And then after all of these years of loving care, the child wants to go back. Imagining that another world and another family will be better. That, that surely back there, there will be more excitement and less restrictions. I mean, how, how heart-wrenching that must be for those adoptive parents. How, how heart-wrenching that must be for God. I mean, it's painful enough to bring children into the world, to, to see yourself in them, to, to dream of the possibilities that lie ahead for them, to keep them safe for as long as you possibly can, and then to watch as the world pulls them away from you into places that, that you know are only going to bring distress and despair. Or maybe some of you know this, they, they fall into addiction and it pulls them away from you and from everyone else. And one day you realize that, that this is no longer the child that you once knew. It's almost like here in Isaiah, you can, you can imagine God sitting down and, and flipping through old photographs of time spent together with his people, of like family vacations and milestone moments and, and celebrations. God, God thinking like, I taught them to walk. I, I called them. I healed them. I, I was there holding your hand when you took your first steps. I, I was the one holding the back of the bike when you learned how to pedal. I was the one that was there to catch you when you jumped into the water. I was the one making the silly airplane noises with the spoon so that you would eat your vegetables. I was the one who kissed your boo-boos and who tucked you in at night. I did that. I did all of that for you. And God's children are ungrateful. And parents, parents, you, you get this, you know, because parents will toil for countless hours trying to provide for their children. And the kids know nothing about what goes into it. Kids just expect that food is going to show up at the table during mealtime. Kids don't have to think about rent or mortgages or taxes or vaccines or the cost of back-to-school supplies or the sacrifice that goes into everything. Kids don't see the sleepless nights or, or the moments in prayer on their behalf, and yet parents do it anyways. Because serving their children is, is what they do. It's also the way that they, they show love to their kids. 
And yet most of the things never even register in the child's mind. That more often than not, they're, they're more likely to complain about the food that is served to them than to understand the, the time and the preparation that went into actually serving the food. I mean, this, this, is, this is a God who's speaking here, who's, who's got a broken heart, just a totally devastated, broken-hearted God. And so it goes on. Verse 5. God's speaking again, and he says, They will return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria will be their king, because they have refused to return to me. So the sword will strike wildly in their cities. It will consume the bars of their gates and will take everything because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they cry out to the most high, he will not raise them up. Now, these are not words of punishment. Rather, they're, they're just the recognition of the consequences that follow the choices of a headstrong, a stubborn, and wayward people. How, how many parents have watched as their teenagers gotten swept up into drugs or crime or, or something else? Their, their allegiance to the addiction takes hold of them and their bodies end up bearing the burden. And so a loving parent can, can only wait <laughs> and hope and pray for their return. Hoping that, that the phone will one day ring, but it won't be the voice of a police officer on the other end. That, that's what God is going through here. This is, this is the parenting God who knows the pain and the anguish of waiting. This, this parenting God also knows the anger that mingles with the anguish and the sorrow that we experience. The sense of betrayal is, is it's real and it's deep. And in a world that's based on justice, right? The child deserves well to be punished. In a world that's based on fairness, there's, there's no obligation to forgive or restore. That when our anger flares up, we, we want to say, look, don't come running back to us. We warned you, we gave you every opportunity in the world and you threw it in our face. You made your bed, now go lie in it. You can live with the consequences of your actions. How many harsh things have we thought or even said in those moments? But in Hosea, that's what we expect, but the mood changes. And, and, and the next phrase is some of the most Comforting words, I think, in all of scripture. Because God defines what holiness is. That, that holiness includes both, both justice and mercy. Both, both truth and grace. That, that God, can be, God can be angry at our sin, but not to ruin us. But God is angry at our sin in order to restore us. God can be, can be angry, but, but it's, all, it's all because God's heart is broken. And so again, Hosea speaks the words of God, this broken-hearted parent. Verse 8, God says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Those are two cities that, that are destroyed God says, my heart winces within me. 
My my compassion grows warm and tender. I won't act on the heat of my anger. I won't return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a human being. The Holy One in your midst, I won't come in harsh judgment. How, How can I give up on you? How could I possibly turn my back on you? I mean, this is a God who, who is just, a God who is righteous, a God who is holy, but above all, a God who is compassionate. And so as the anger subsides and the love is rekindled, God is going to find a way for grace to prevail. God is going to find a way to bring the people back. God's love for us remains constant, even when, even when our devotion to God does not. God's love is always faithful, even when we are faithless. And so this, this parenting God is willing to run into whatever underworld the wayward child is lost in and is determined to bring them out alive. And so Hosea continues, verse 10, God says, they will walk after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like a bird and like a dove from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their home, says the Lord. And so now God is is not just a parent, but God is a roaring lion calling out in protection of its cubs. The children react like trembling doves rushing home to find shelter under the mother's wings. God, God is a parent. God is, is a lion. God is a mother hen. These are all images that, that Jesus would use to try to explain, convey to people, this is what the heart of God is like. To try to describe, this is what the heart of God who, who sent me to live and to die for, for all of the lost sheep, for all of the wayward people of this world. That God is patient, yes. God is also ferocious. And God is tender. And, and whatever it takes, what, whatever it takes to save us from, from the tricks and the scams that would trick us into believing that there's an easier way, that there's brighter lights, that there's greener grass somewhere else, God is going to find that way. Grace will prevail. And, and so the powers of our day, that they're not Egypt and, and Assyria. They, they take different forms. But like them, it's anything that, that draws us away from the love of God. The, the love of God that, that gives us life and nurtures us, forms us into our truest selves. I wonder if Jesus... Um, was thinking about this passage from Hosea when he told his famous story about the prodigal son and the brokenhearted father. We, we, we know that story. Even if you've never read it in the Bible before, you've heard or seen some kind of rendition of it, that, that, that there's a father who watched his son just walk away with his inheritance, squander it, waste it in, in a foreign land. And then the father waits patiently for the stubborn, headstrong son to what he knows probably is going to experience the consequences of his actions. It's going to cause him pain. It's going to devastate him. But the father waits 
for him to return back home. In the story, Jesus says that as the son kind of comes to his senses after he's kind of made a mess of his life, he starts heading back to his father's house. The father who's been waiting patiently for his son to return sees, sees him a far way off and runs towards him to, to embrace him. And then the father claims him as his own son and says, you're home, you're home. We, we've got to throw a party now because this son of mine who was lost is now found. This son who is, who is dead is now alive. Father's heart of compassion and this same, this same compassion that melted away the anger of God in Hosea is described by Jesus as the heart of God for each and every prodigal child. Because anger, anger melts away in the face of love. And our longing hearts, they, they find rest. When we find a place in the Father's house, when we're embraced by God's love. And so what do you think about? When you think about how God thinks about you. Well, friends, you don't have to wonder anymore. You are loved. That God demonstrated his love towards you by giving us his son, Jesus, to to ensure that grace would prevail. And you are loved by a good heavenly parent who is calling to you, who is running after you, who is bending down to lift you up in arms to heal your wounds, who is, who is bending down to feed you and to throw you a party. That in Jesus, God has bent down to us. Philippians chapter two, it says, Jesus, even though he was, he was equal with God on the same standing, the same footing as God, he, he didn't use that to be exploit, to exploit it. Instead, what Jesus did, he emptied himself of everything but love to bend down and to come to us and to show us the way to God's heart. He bent down and he opens his arms, and he throws us a party, welcoming all to come into the Father's house, to come and have a seat at the table, and to experience God's grace. Jesus says this, this is open to everyone. Everyone is welcome to come and experience God's love. And so holy and just and loving and compassionate God, we thank you that you call us your children, that you call us your beloved, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel unworthy. God, you invite us to come pull up a seat and to sit at this table with you. And God, it's only by your grace. So Lord, I pray for all of our hearts or that you would speak that truth.
that, that we are your beloved children, that you want us to come back home and you want us to learn from you. God, may we hear today that this is an invitation to come back to you. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us who are gathered here. Lord, bring us close to you. Lord, bring us close to one another. Lord, bring us closer to the heart of yours. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on these gifts of bread and cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus so that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, family members of the household of Jesus, redeemed by his blood, and that we would be witnesses of such grace and such love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.